Very nice. Good evening, everybody. Boy, Thursdays have now become a long day. It's amazing how you get used to a schedule. I used to be here till <coughs> this late all, all the time. But anyway, uh, turn your Bibles to Matthew 6.13. Excitedly, we get to begin the final petition in the Lord's Prayer. <coughs> and then after... After we do this, I assume a couple of classes, maybe uh, maybe two or three, to look at the things that are here depicted, and then um, and then we'll summarize prayer and, and finish it. <coughs> Let's begin with prayer. Let's thank God for our time together. Let's thank Him for His Word and be grateful. Let's be grateful for uh, the ability to learn and to know that through his word, no matter what there is here, that we will always grow in grace and knowledge if we understand. Uh, so with that, let's bow our heads and pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this uh, time to be together and to hear your word. Thank you for all those who listen. Thank you for those who are able to come here and be with us. And uh, for those on the internet, we thank you for all the blessing that you have brought upon each of us in our lives, in our church, our families. We've all come from, <coughs> excuse me, through Christ our Lord. It's his sacrifice his crucifixion, His resurrection that has accomplished everything, that has brought in a new age and that has made us new creatures. As the new humanity, we pray to You, Father, as Your children, and we know with great confidence that we can boldly speak to You and know that You will hear and know that You will answer. We're so grateful for that personal um, uh, ability, personal touch, I guess I could say, to your plan and your will and your way. That though you are light years away from us, you indwell us and we speak to you and the reality of our destiny and our future is with you. And all the sin and evil in this world is going to be eventually, finally judged and removed. So, Father, as those who are grateful, sinners cleansed and forgiven, we ask that through your Spirit we would understand more of this topic of prayer. And we ask in Christ's name, Amen. <coughs> now, um, the Christian way of life is about growing up. Uh, that is true for everybody. Uh, it's unfortunate that there's a lot of lies in the Christian church. Uh, one of the, probably the worst is that we're earning our salvation and that so Christianity is the process of getting saved, that salvation by works. But that is not actually true and we know that. Christianity starts with salvation and then from there what? And we've got to grow in grace and knowledge as the scripture says. We've got to grow up, we've got to increase in faith, we've got to increase in understanding and in knowledge and in practice uh, we've got to grow in our prayer lives, in our applications, in our uh, our humility. We've got to grow in our obedience and our trust. And all of those things have to continually increase. And <clears throat> if we're diligent enough, we're going to get to a place, each of us, where we're going to start to see the reality of the spiritual lives in our own life. In other words, 
it won't be just the pages of Scripture that describe the great Apostle Paul or Daniel or David or somebody, but that actually you're starting in your mind and in your thinking and your ways to look like them. It's greatly, and it gives great confidence and courage and hope. And that's what really grows here is hope. Right, as we know in, in Paul's great three that he writes in 1 Corinthians 13, there's faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Hope there is the <coughs> confidence in the future and confidence in God's ability, confidence in your own ability that you are on your way to really grab and hold of that which is eternal life. And, <coughs> excuse me, the devil is not going to look at you and say, wow, you know what, I'm impressed. Satan is not going to see your growth and be proud of you. The world he rules will never celebrate your spiritual victories. Never. The world's not going to stand back and go, oh, hey, hands off this one. They've grown up. We're impressed. It's never going to happen. They don't care. Satan doesn't care. The world doesn't care. Nobody cares. In fact, the world looks at you as weak. You know, this humility thing, this laying down your life thing, this sacrificial thing, this weakness. They don't care. They see you as weak. And in fact, your spiritual growth only makes the devil hungrier. You, know, you become more of a target. There's a target on your back. And he's going to try even harder to tear you down. And so, we have our final petition. Matthew 6.13 says, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, <clears throat> we'll get, it, it depends, you know, some people love the sentence structure and Greek and all that. I think most don't. So, we're going to get the boring part out of the way first. And uh, first is, there's a couple of translational issues that if we don't know them, then the verse here, the interpretation of this verse becomes a little more vague for us. We want to clarify that. And the first thing is this word temptation. The reason why this is important is that the New Testament has two words that are used for testing or temptation or proving. And this one, perasmon, uh, as you see there on the board, is it means testing. It means to be tempted. But it is used only, exclusively, in the New Testament. It's always used of the devil testing. And so, this is a testing by which your enemy is trying to get you to fall. Trying to make you stumble. And that, this word is always used for that. And, <clears throat> and this is one of those things where synonyms, because there's another word. We know the word dokimazo, right? We've used it a lot. Uh, the noun is dokimaze or dokime, I think it is. Uh, but anyway, that doesn't matter. That word, dokime or dokimazo, is always used of God testing. So the testing of God, which is always for you to prove yourself. Uh, the testing of God is brought in your life with the hope of success. Right? So the father, the parent, is a parent, you know, he's your father, and he wants to see you succeed. So when he brings in testing, 
it's with the hope of your success in mind. But this word is always with the hope of your failure. And so this is a temptation that comes from the devil. So we have, do not lead us. Uh, The word could also mean bring us into. Don't lead us into or bring us into the temptation of the devil. And so you can, it's, it's not... It's not right to put it in the translation, but it's okay to like put it in parentheses. The temptation is from where? From the devil. Uh, this certainly doesn't exclude temptations that come upon us from the flesh. The devil uses those. Actually, he uses it uh, uh, quite um, uh, smartly. Uh, God, the devil will put us in situations where our flesh will uh, rise to try and rule us and master us. And so it's not that this is only when the devil comes around. And by the way, as the Lord could see the devil during his temptation, we're not ever going to see him. Or whatever demons he sends our way, we're never going to see them. So it's not a matter of, oh, there's the devil and he's trying to get me. It's a matter of <clears throat> what, is the tra- what is the devil trying to do to us? And his demon army, what are they trying to do to us? And there's a lot of discussion. It wouldn't be worthy here in our church because we've always believed the devil to be a real person, a real angel, a real fallen angel. But there's a lot of discussion out there in the Christian circles that it's you know this is a myth that he's not really real. But in fact, <clears throat> and we'll close with this: he's real all over the place, as absolutely functioning to try and tear us down. Now. Secondly, it says deliver us from evil, but this from the Greek translation could actually be deliver us from the evil one. In fact, the most prominent Greek scholar in the world today uh, translates it evil one. So it could be one or the other. (coughs) Excuse me. So from the Greek translation, deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. We find out that it doesn't really matter which one it is. It's probably evil one. There's a definite article here that's used that points to that. But, uh, you know, what's the evil one trying to do? He's trying to bring us, overwhelm us with evil. He's trying to fill us with sin and evil. He's trying to destroy our spiritual lives. So did the Lord mean evil in general or the devil? It doesn't actually matter, it finds out, when we, when we examine it more closely. So in my estimation, I think Jesus is referring to the devil and emphasizing what the devil wants us to do. What does the devil desire for us to do is to commit sin, have a life full of sin, and become ensnared and enslaved to evil so that our hope and our joy and our spiritual lives are all but dead. That's what he desires. So the petition, this last petition, it doesn't have two parts. The whole thing is one. And we get that again from the language. Parasmon is temptation from the devil. Deliver us from the evil one. So we have the devil here who is the one who is trying to, planning to, creates a world system to, and using our flesh as an agent of his to try and get us off this narrow road, to try and get us off this way 
off this race that we're running, which is the new and living way, as the writer of Hebrews describes it, as this, this path that is the path of righteousness. Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. That path. And Satan's trying to get us off of it. And he has various ways to do this. He can appeal to our pride. He can appeal to our uh, immorality. He can appeal to our lusts in various areas. He can appeal to all kinds of things. Because no two people are going to fall in the exact same way. So that's why the opening part confuses people. And it's confusing to me. Why would God lead us into temptation? Notice, do not lead us into temptation. And it's almost as if God is just saying, you know, standing there saying, well, you know, I could lead you into temptation or out of temptation. It's up to you. You, you tell me where to go. As if God is under our control. But it's certainly not that. We find out, actually, this is, this is a question that I thought I have solved and then I'm like, well, I think of something else, and I haven't solved it. And, <clears throat> and then I found out, and I found this out quite a bit, that if, if, the, if the question that you're asking cannot be answered by the Scripture, you're asking the wrong question. And sometimes it's things like, how do I understand the Trinity? Uh, wrong question. You ain't never going to understand it. God is three in one. That's just it. You can state it, you can believe it. To understand it in, in its depth and its detail, no way. This is the wrong question because it's childish. It's childish to think, you know, <coughs> God is going to lead me one way or the other depending on how I, I ask him. That's not actually true at all. First, would we think that God is not committed to the path that we should take? Well, of course he is. Uh, Could he just as easily take us one way or the other? No. But secondly, God doesn't force us to go anywhere. (coughs) He gives us instruction, guidance, power, right? And then what do we do? We choose the path. He lays them out before us, and we choose them. So as Joshua said, his farewell speech is the last thing he says to the Israelites before he dies. In Joshua 24, 15 was his last speech. Choose for yourself today whom you will serve, God or idols. Which one do you want? He says, as for me and mine, my household, we will serve the Lord. But what will you serve? Jesus told us to pick up our crosses and follow him. Do we all do it? I mean, it's obviously an option. So what are we really asking here? That's what we want to get at. And it turns out that if we, if we isolate this and we say, you know, because I meant to go look it up, but the Catholic Church officially changed the wording of this prayer, uh, the last line, into, uh, you know, as he says here, don't lead us into temptation. I forget how they changed it. I was going to look it up. Not that it matters. <coughs> as if Matthew didn't know what he was writing. By the way, Luke says the exact same thing. So what are we asking? Well, think about it. When we ask for bread, give us today our daily bread. What if we don't ask for that? Let's say you forgot to ask for that today. Did you starve? Did you go to the fridge and it was empty? Did you go to the supermarket and they said no? Did you go to your wallet and it was empty and all your cards were stolen? You couldn't get any food? No, God provided. Whether you ask or you don't, God is going to provide you bread. 
when we ask for forgiveness. Forgive us our debts. What if we forget to ask? Are we forgiven? Because the wages of sin is death. So if you don't ask that, you died? No, you're forgiven. Whether we asked or we didn't, we were forgiven. In the same way, see, what the Lord is doing in these prayers is He's cornering us. What do you think of your physical provisions that come from God? Are you content? Are you thankful? Because when you say, Father, today, give us today our daily bread, you are acknowledging that they come from God and that I only want what you, Lord, give. So I could just say it. You know, I'm just repeating the words. Or if I know the meaning behind the words, I am cornered by Christ to either admit I'm thankful and content or I'm not. I'm either I'm cornered to admit I'm a sinner who is forgiven, thank God, and therefore I'm humbled and not guilty and shamed and I forgive others. Or I'm not. I don't I don't really care. So he corners me. And in in what are they about? These are about what I think uh what is my attitude towards the most important thing? What is my attitude towards the most important things? What is the most important thing? That God provides my needs. God has forgiven me the sinner. And God, last petition, will lead me. Do I care where He leads me? You know, and, and this, I'm again, I'm cornered by our Lord in my daily prayer as to the attitude of what road do I want to take today? What road do I want to take today? The road that's going to be beset, that road is going to be beset by temptations. Yeah? But what, what road do I want? Lead me. This uh, Greek verb means to bring me into. Lead me. Bring me into what? Well, temptations where I may fall or success. And, and so it's, and so here's the thing, you know, and, and we all kind of know this, you know. You're, but it's again, I I love how this is put. You know, it's six things are stated by our Lord that are the most important and foundational things in the Christian life: our worship of God and our attitude towards ourselves and our lives here on earth in relation to God, and our relation to Jesus Christ. And let's say now that I have gone through these petitions. I have loved and adored the Lord for who He is. Our Father who is in heaven, holy be Your name. I I have loved and adored and worshipped Him for His work, Your kingdom come. I have loved, adored, and worshipped Him for His wisdom, Your will be done. I've desired His kingdom. I desire His wisdom. And I know, and I'm fully on board with this, on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, my life, my body, my mind, my everything, I want to run like heaven runs. I want it. This is, if you want this, and only you and you know this, <clears throat> the eyes of your soul are going to really start to open. Your perception of life is really going to change. And then you move on. Give us today our daily bread. 
you know what? I find now with this growth that all material lust, I don't have it anymore. You know what? I get around rich people. I had a Zoom meeting with a millionaire today. <laughs> He's a multimillionaire. And, uh, you know, He's just a regular guy. He's a Christian guy. He doesn't come across as, you know, that richness. Nor did any of us in the Zoom meeting look at him that way. I don't think because we're all believers. We don't care how much money he has or what he doesn't have. If <clears throat> So you've moved into that material lust, which drives so much in the world, gone. I want what the Lord has for me. That's all I want. This is a big step. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to truly believe it. And then, you know, I'm a sinner and, oh, God, all my failures in my past, I have been burdened, I have been shamed, I am so ashamed of myself, I have such a low image, I have such guilt. And because of the forgiveness of my Lord, He's praying this, forgive us our sins as we forgive our debtors over and over. You know what? I'm getting over it. And, you know, I'm forgiven my debtors. You know, people are still judging me, which used to make me feel bad. They're attacking me, which used to make me feel angry and want revenge. But you know what? I put it in the hands of the Lord now. I don't care what they think about me anymore. What marvelous place to be. And, yep, you've done it. You have successfully understood and fulfilled the first five petitions. You have worshipped and adored God for His person and work. You have committed to full obedience to Him. You have longed for His kingdom and His will. You adore and worship Him for them as well. You know that your life should be earth uh, on earth as it is in heaven. We are con- you're content with your daily bread. Material lust has left the building. And contentment has moved in. All my physical provisions are provided for. I confess my sin daily and I know I'm forgiven. I no longer carry the guilt and the shame that I used to. People still judge me and do and say bad things against me, but that doesn't bother me anymore. God has taught me how to forgive them through the truth and through the Holy Spirit. I'm content mentally with who I am, for by the grace of God, as Paul says in Philippians 1, I am what I am by the grace of God. Deal with it. You know what it is? It's a newfound spiritual niche in which the future never looked better. I mean, future on earth. You. And you know what? What I find, or for us I find, (laughs) is it doesn't matter how old you are. They say, I feel this niche growing around me, and I'm 60 years old, 65 years old. Hopefully you're 20 years old. That would be wonderful. But it doesn't matter, right? Because life is eternal here. It's not based upon the physical man. As Paul says, though the outer man decays day by day, the inner man is being renewed. Yeah. So, this frees me now to pour my heart and soul into the spiritual life. I'm no longer worried and concerned about other things. I'll learn more of God's Word. That's exciting. I'll understand more of it by the Spirit of God. I'm going to put it into practice. Oh, wait till the world sees me. The new me. Wait till they all see me. The new me. 
Wait till they see how awesome I am. And you know what? You are awesome. And they, in the world, as you know, who are not of the mind of Christ, they're going to look at you and go, eh, whatever. And in fact, you know what? They're going to be rubbed a little the wrong way. Because they're going to think you have confidence in something that's not real, and therefore you're a buffoon. You're a fool. Right? You've gained this happiness and this confidence from something that doesn't exist. What does that make you? It means you should probably be in a hospital where the walls are padded, you know, where people talk nice to you and give you little cups with pills in them. That's all I know is one floor of the cuckoo's nest, which is filmed right here in Oregon, by the way. Because it is a cuckoo's nest in this place. So anyway, um, what a wonderful and fulfilling place to be. That's my point. Uh, it made me think of an old 80s song, Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now. I was like, you know, I know this song, right, because I grew up in the 80s. Whatever music you listen to when you're like 14 years old to 20-something is your music. You will love it the rest of your life, no matter how good or bad it is. And I looked it up, and I'm like, oh, right. That was the theme song to a movie called Mannequin. Now, if you haven't seen this movie, I saw this movie back in the 80s. Uh, this one of the actors who's in, uh, he's from the 80s. He falls in love with a mannequin, and she comes to life. <laughs> it's a ridiculous, stupid movie. It's thoroughly entertaining, though. But I thought, you know, how could I work that into my message? I came up with nothing. But God has more in store for you than stupid little dreams like mannequins coming to life. How's that? It doesn't work that well. Now, in your newfound place of confidence and spirituality, did you tell Satan how strong you are now? Is he proud of you? He doesn't care one bit. And in fact, he's a little more uh, 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 looking at you. He's, he's a little more uh, wanting to tear you down. And the devil has vast resources of ammunition that will draw you back. What does he want to do? He wants to draw you back to the old you. This confident happy, joyful, peaceful, and the fruit of the Spirit. Gentle, wise, giving, sacrificing. I mean, even your mind, your, when you're spiritual, your mind, your thinking process is clearer. You think quicker. You have a better personality. You're a witness for Christ. And he has vast resources of ammunition to draw you back into the old you. And it was all a lie. This tells us that the, this life, the spiritual life, is not for the faint of heart. Is it? You know, we hit a certain place and we think, wow, you know, I've overcome this, 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 and this. And now it's going to be easy. Right? Isn't it going to be easy? I've overcome my material lust. I've overcome certain weaknesses and flaws that have haunted me my whole life in sin. I've <clears throat> I, I worship the Lord. I don't worship me anymore. You know, at times I do, sure. But I, you know, I, I see the error in that. And I confess that. My life has gotten divine. It's going to be easy from here on out. 
And, you know, think of our Lord's ministry. I mean, talk about a life that was divine. He was the divine. Was it easy? No. It's not for the faint of heart. That's why Paul writes, don't grow weary or lose heart. Don't, in Galatians 6, don't grow weary or lose heart. And he meant, in that, he meant, <clears throat> you know, grabbing hold of eternal life. Don't grow weary or lose heart. Grabbing hold of eternal life is tiring. The flesh haunts you. The flesh doesn't want it. The world doesn't want it. So, what doesn't change is Satan. He doesn't care. And the world. The world doesn't care. The world never cares. It's like trying to convey ourselves safely through a land infested with enemies, uh, landmines, thousands and millions of mosquitoes carrying malaria. That's what we're trying to get our th- ourselves through. We could wish not to go through. We might even want to stand still. But we know that that's not possible. We have to keep going. We have to keep forging ahead. We sometimes feel fear, but we know that we can't be fearful. I mean, if you keep going forward as afraid, that's better than not going at all. But the fear's got to go. As John writes in 1 John, there's no fear in love. We've got to go with confidence, with peace, with joy, with the fruit of the Spirit. Fear is not an option. And so we have to truly risk, and the devil's world is not going to change to suit our new condition in Christ. Uh Techniques of the devil use our former companions in our worldly lives who are waiting for us to join them again. Familiar jaunts, familiar ways, old paths cross our own very consistently and tell us things are ready for us to come back to the old self, even more ready than before. The same business awaits, the same times of leisure, the same familiar ways of spending time. Shouldn't we just do as we did before? Why not? All remains the same. <clears throat> Ready as ever to make our old course easy. You know, it's the same, come on back. Come on in, the water's fine, that kind of thing. The world, the old life, the, the devil has no sympathy for our new position, our new condition. They don't rejoice over our newfound treasure. There's no friendly desire to enter in and prosper in our ways. We evangelize. We tell others of the light, of the truth. Do they come? Bless those who do come. They're few though, aren't they? Many reject it. They don't come. And then they say to you, why don't you come back? See, there are, those in the world are always evangelizing for the world just as much, maybe even more so than we're evangelizing for, the, for Christianity. What disappoints us more than ever, more than anything probably, is the fact that we do find in ourselves too much that remains as it was. Like we have this confidence now, say the first five petitions have become a reality, but yet we find ourselves still being drawn into the old, and we find that within ourselves there's things that haven't really changed yet. That can be depressing. 
And as the Lord said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's still flesh. Our flesh will always be adapted to the world, to evil, to sin. So Satan attempts various ways to put our flesh to his purpose. And there's only one escape. So here's the prayer. Lead us, Lord, not the way of temptation. So what are we really asking? We're asking to be led. But we're we're cornered by our Lord. By him saying, look, I've given you this prayer. I'm not telling you that the Father desires to lead you into temptation. That's not what I'm saying. I'm giving you the prayer so that you every day can evaluate what is it that you desire. What way do you desire to go? And it has to start in the morning, and it has to go all throughout the day. One day at a time. Don't worry about tomorrow. But today, the will of God, obedience to God, trust in God, from the moment I am awake to the moment I go to sleep, in every situation, in every experience, and with every person. And I say, Father, there's going to be temptations along the way. I want this way so much that I would rather no temptations. Right? Not because I want it easy. I so want to stay on this narrow road that <clears throat> I, would, I would desire no temptation at all, if possible. Of course, it's not going to be completely possible. But we do find out, as it says here, if I desire to follow the Lord, there's a lot of the temptations that... Right, think about it. If, if, if I don't desire the Lord, there's a lot of temptations that I'm susceptible to that are going to be easy on me, easy to pull me. But if I desire the Lord's way, to follow the Lord more than I desire to follow the flesh, a lot of those temptations are no longer going to be strong. They'll be there. They might raise their head every once in a while. But they go, nah, you know what? I don't want that. It doesn't mean that I'm uh, absolved from all temptations. And that's a wonderful place to be. It's a strong place to be. And we're not going to have it unless we desire it. And this is what God is teaching us through his word. And it takes time that we come to understand what the desire for the right things are. What is the desire for eternal life? What is the desire for God, for Christ, for resurrection, for even crucifixion? Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I don't live, but Christ lives in me. What a statement. I've been crucified. That's a day-by-day thing. And crucifixion means, yeah, you know, my old life is not an option anymore. And then, another dimension is added. There's a lot of dimensions. Unlike before, now we have a lot to lose. Right? Why? Well, I have followed through in the fundamental precepts of the Lord's Prayer, and I have developed great hope and expectation in life, and a life that I want filled with Christ and His godliness, and I can see it coming. And therefore, I have great hope in me, in my future, and so I have a lot to lose. 
As one great writer put it, those who have nothing to lose are little disturbed by the presence of thieves. Right? If you had absolutely nothing and someone comes up to you and wants to mug you, robs you, say, give me your money. Yeah, I don't have any. Someone says, I'm going to break into your garage and take something. You're like, oh, please, clean it out. That'd be great. I don't want anything in there. You got nothing to lose. You're not anxious. <clears throat> Those whose hopes are small have few fears. From the same writer, Marcus Dodd. Those whose hopes are small have few fears. The fear of defilement found no place in our souls until the Holy Spirit made us new. The fear of sin wasn't there until we realized what sin was and that we realized what godliness was and that we had hope in that. Before we experienced the grace of God, temptation seemed like a small risk. But now we have tasted God's favor, God's grace, Experience the joy and goodwill of God, the prize of God's pleasure, and it seems now a hazardous thing to venture into the sea of temptations. I don't want to go there. <clears throat> temptations, we know, cause sin. See, temptation's the door, and that door, if we don't walk through it, temptation is not sin. But temptation walked through becomes the prison of sin and evil. So I pray every day, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. From the evil one. And he will, as we know, is going to meet his end in judgment. But this is a very serious game we're playing. If the spiritual life is not important to us, then we don't care. But it becomes important, we realize how important it is. Alright, go to Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. Some fast passages. Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. <clears throat> You know, as my mind gets a bit older, just a bit, I, uh, what was I thinking? There we go. <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh, a thought or a passage will jump into my head and it'll be in the middle of me typing something else out. And I'll be like, all right, get that passage in now, put it in my... And I'm like, well, what passage was that? And, you know, within a minute, I've already forgotten it. So this works every time. I pray. I've learned to do this. I don't even hesitate anymore. I, I close my eyes and I'm like, Lord, I, I lost that thought and I lost that passage. Could you give it back? He always does. And a lot of the times it's a minute. Sometimes it's a minute later. Sometimes it's an hour later. And like right now, sometimes it's in the middle of class. So I'm like, I was <laughs> thought about a passage, and, I'm, and I forgot it. So First Hebrews 12.1, 12, 1, then I'll read the other one. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, this is the Old Testament saints. He's not saying here that they're looking at us from heaven, although if you want to imagine that, that's fine. But 
<clears throat> it means that they're witnesses that have gone before us. They surround us in a meaning that they've, you know, they're there. They've, they've been, if you imagine a courtroom, they've, they've gone to the witness bench before us and they've, by faith, glorified the Lord. So since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. This word encumbrance, it, it means like a flowing robe that, uh, like in the ancient East, even still now in the East, men wear like robes, they're like long skirts. And if you're going to run, you, you hike them up. And that's what this word means. It's a, it, it's a wonderful word that means hike up your skirt. <laughs> hike up your skirt so you can run. So it's... <coughs> um, you know, uh, lay aside every encumbrance, the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, that's the prize, that's the goal, that's the finish line. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, really the, the well, I won't go into it, I'll just read it in English, for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, he's gone before us with complete and perfect victory. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. Hostility, absolutely. <clears throat> and this is our petition. Lead us through temptation. It's also hostility. The temptation that comes upon when people persecute, judge us, are hostile towards us that we are tempted to fight back and judge rather than leave things in the hands of God and maintain our peace. <clears throat> For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. There it is. Paul says it in Galatians 6, writer of Hebrews says it here, same words. Grow weary and lose heart. The Christian life will become wearying. Why? Because of the hostility, the temptation from the flesh, the world, the devil. And then he says, you haven't resisted to the, like, when should I quit? You know, when is enough enough? And I love, <laughs> you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. When's, when's, when, whenever have any of us done that? I've resisted so much that the, the carpuscles or whatever they're called in my skin have burst and I'm bleeding. No, it's never happened. I doubt it. So what we have here in Hebrews 12 is a road that is a race it's a way. Hebrews 10 calls it the new and living way that Christ opened to us. This is what we're praying about in the last petition. And again, while we're desiring of this road, if we, you know, no one who does, no one who does not desire this road will walk it. Nobody. But when we come to desire it, walking the road is still not going to be easy. The world hasn't changed. The devil hasn't changed. The devil isn't proud of you. The devil isn't impressed with you. The devil wants to tear you down more than ever. And so as Peter says, should we be shocked? Here's the other thing. We'll talk about it at some point in this study. That when's the temptation coming? Well, eventually. When's the trial coming? Eventually. What kind? Various. None of this is told to us. We can't know. When is it coming? I don't know, but I know it's coming. What kind? I don't know, but I know it's of a kind. I'm going to be ready for it all. 
That's the attitude. That's what I'm praying every day. I am ready, Lord, to follow you through whatever. So, a couple of Proverbs first on the way. Proverbs 15, 19, the way of the sluggard is a hedge of thorns. Oh, I forgot my passage in, in Corinthians. See, I forgot it again. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Prize Run in such a way that you will win. Paul says, therefore, I run in such a way, not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, preach to others to run the road, that I myself will not be disqualified. And that word disqualified, by the way, is doki mazo. With the negatives. It's a negative doki mazo. Okay. Proverbs fifteen nineteen. The way of the sluggard is a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. This is not just the physically lazy. The spiritually lazy... Right? What do I care if I follow the narrow way or the right way or run the race today? Come on, does it really matter? I'm saved, my sins are forgiven, does it matter? That's a spiritual sluggard. Uh, the path of the upright is a highway. Proverbs 16:17. The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He who watches his way preserves his life. True words from Solomon. So depart from evil, right? And it's the same as our prayer here. Deliver me from the evil. Uh, so is Satan still active? Is he a real person who's still active? First, First Thessalonians 2.18, Paul says, We wanted to come to you, to the Thessalonians, but I, Paul, more than once, yet Satan thwarted us. Satan stopped us. And it's not the only place that he mentions Satan meddling or muddling or whatever the word is in his ministry. Ephesians 4.26 and 27, Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. See, right? He's an opportunity to use your flesh to get you and others into trouble spiritually. Whatever he can do. Some of us have anger issues. When I say us, this guy, he's got two thumbs and anger issues, right? Here. And so, uh, you know, I, I, it's wonderful to know that so that I can conquer it. I was talking to somebody the other day that, you know, this uh, <coughs> a new revelation in their lives that such and such a thing is a weakness. And, you know, what do you, if you have, if in an area that you have a weakness, meaning, what I mean by this is not a sinful thing. It's just in the pursuit of a certain task, I find it's a task that I want to do, but I find that I'm not up to it as much as I thought. So what do we naturally do as human beings? If I'm not up to snuff for a certain task or a certain skill, I quit. Why bother, right? But when it comes to spiritual matters, I can't quit. What if God has called you to do that thing and you know it? It's it's time to overcome, to develop the skill. And God will get you there. You know why? We know he'll get you there because he promised to and you have the Holy Spirit within. Ephesians 6.11, when we know well, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. 
who shoots his fiery missiles and we pick up the shield of faith. Right? He's after us. Hold your ground here, it says. Able to stand firm. Don't get knocked off the narrow path. 1 Timothy 3.7 And he, who is he? That's me. Or any pastor, or any elder. And deacon is it would be thrown in here too. Anyone who has a position of authority in the church. He must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he may not fall into, the, into reproach and a snare of the devil. And then James 4, 7, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. So, for the sake of time, well, we can go there. Go to 1 Peter 5. We all know this passage well, and it's a good way to wrap this up. 1 Peter 5, 6. So this, um, again, to repeat, the devil's not proud of you. The devil's not going to back off. He's going to come closer, actually, as we just see here in James. If we resist, he'll flee. What if we don't resist? He'll hover. <laughs> he'll, he'll bring it. And what are, in various ways, he'll bring the trials and, and use your flesh against you. He's not proud of you. The world isn't proud of you. They're not going to back off. It's just, but you're stronger now, right? So you're able to handle more. So 1 Peter 5, 6, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety in the face of your enemy. Uh -uh, Nope. Casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Right? That's this prayer, this petition. Lead me, Father. Well, it, and you know, it, it doesn't have to be chemically drunk, though that would apply, but mentally lazy, like we saw in Proverbs. That's not sober or alert. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone, anyone, to devour. But resist him. Now notice how you resist him. As we're going to get back to this as how do I walk this narrow road? How do I fulfill this petition? Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. You're not alone. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Right? What's the promise? That God is going to give me perseverance and strength. It's also we find it also in James chapter one, and in this we would have joy in our various trials. So this devil prowls about. When you are confident and spiritual, he's going to seek you out. Don't be shocked, as Peter writes in First Peter four, verse twelve, famous verse. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you that has come upon you for your testing. But rejoice, he says, right? And that you're really confirming yourself, and so confirming your spiritual life. And also know, and I know you know this, but it's a good place to wrap up that this loser, uh, this loser fallen angel in Revelation 20:10 is going to be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. He has no future but judgment. So what what could come from him that would be any good? 
What could come from sin that could be any good? What could come from evil that could be any good? Yet it tempts us, amazingly enough. So Revelation 20.10, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. His end is sure. Our end is also sure. Uh, If you have eternal life, you can't be lost. But we have this path, this road, this race to run that once we get to see what it is, we will long for it. Just know that, and again, this last petition reminds us that there's going to be opposition. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word and your. thank you for all that you do in providing for us the truth. Father, we are grateful for this prayer to give us a foundation to all of our prayers and to uh, know these six things that are a foundation to the spiritual life. May we, starting from the first, praise you, Father, for who you are and long for your will. And we ask in Christ's name, amen.